Psalm 91, beginning at verse 1. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and if you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, today's the, the third Sunday in our series we're calling Emotional Faith. And in this series, we've been exploring our emotional response to the circumstances of our lives and uh, what those responses teach us about God and as well as what they teach us about ourselves. And so the first week we talked about how God is an emotional God, that, that God is a God who experiences many of the emotions that we experience. It's where we get them from. Our God feels joy and sadness and anger and all of it can be traced back to him as we experience those things ourselves. And then last week, we started to get into some of the most dominant emotions that we face. Happiness was last Sunday. And this Sunday, we're talking about the emotion of fear. Uh, now, I look back, and it was exactly, it was literally exactly two years ago this month that we walked through a sermon series here at St. John's. You can still get it on our website um, called Fear. And it was an engaging topic because everyone is afraid of something. And, and I also look back now and I think, man, how prophetic it was that God had us walk through that series January, February of the year 2020, right? As, as we didn't know what we were going to be experiencing now over the last two years. Living in the midst of a global pandemic and unrest has brought to us experiences of 
fear that many of us maybe have never experienced before, like the fear of getting sick or the fear of the well-being of a loved one or fear over our government's response to our circumstances. That's a fear, right? Conservatives are afraid that the government is doing too much. Progressives are afraid that the government isn't doing enough. It's fear. Fear over our future. Fear over corruption. Fear that things will never go back to the way things were or fear that we're going back to the way things were too quickly. It doesn't matter what your statement is, which one of those statements reflects you, where you're at or where you've been. The common denominator in all of them is fear. Everyone is afraid of something. And what we're going to learn here from Psalm 91 today is where God finds himself when we're afraid. Specifically, this is what we're going to learn. That when we experience fear with faith, we find peace, protection, and hope. Let me say that again. When we experience fear with faith, we find peace, protection, and hope. Fear in the context of faith, makes all the difference. And we know this, even on a practical level. This, this past spring, our, our missionary family that we partner with in Kenya, the Okoth family, um, they were here, they preached, and many of you know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, they were visiting Wisconsin, and before they left, they wanted to have a new experience for many of them, and that was they wanted to go to Six Flags Great America. And so my family and I, we had the privilege, and it was the privilege, here we are, we got to go, and we got to experience this first for them. Now, Holly Occult, she grew up, born and raised in Wisconsin, so she was like me, she went to Six Flags, she's been on roller coasters, all that kind of stuff, but her husband, Fred, there in the middle, and the one next to him, Lucy, their teenage daughter, never had experienced anything more than maybe kind of like the carnival rides that we experienced at the fair, and so we got to experience that with them, and so of course, where did we go? We went to the best roller coaster at Six Flags Great America, took them right to the Raging Bull. <laughs> now, some of you are laughing because you know about the Raging Bull. Some of you are laughing because you're like, just with the title of that, I know. Um, if you don't know Raging Bull, Raging Bull is the tallest roller coaster in Illinois. It's 202 feet tall. Some of you are looking at me like, Tom, you're kind of a jerk. Why would you take him there for that? Just, just hear me out. 202 feet tall. That's how tall it is. And at 180 seconds that it takes to complete the roller coaster, you experience, it's, it's a near instant drop from its tallest point. You go 73 miles an hour in open air, and you experience four Gs of force on your face. This is the one, right? They wanted to experience something new. This is what we went to experience. It's terrifying. It's terrifying for me. And I grew up, this thing was built when I was in high school. I've been on it a thousand times, and it's still scary. And yet, nobody forced anybody to do this. Nobody forced anybody. We actually traveled considerable distance. We paid money for the privilege of being afraid. And some of you are laughing because you get it, and some of you are laughing because you don't get it. You're like, why does anybody do this? And here's the, the, the worst part of it. When we did it once, we did it again. 
And we did it again. And we did it again. Actually, my son Jake and I did it again and again and again. Um, how, um, Fred and, and Lucy had had enough after a while. We did it a couple more times. But, but here's the thing. I don't care how brave you are. I don't care how much of a daredevil you are. I don't care how much you love these kinds of rides. I wouldn't believe anyone that would tell me that they're not at least a little afraid of a 202-foot drop right? Like, like, I can't imagine anybody honestly saying that they wouldn't be afraid of that. The, 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 the median, I read this in one source, the median lethal distance for a fall is four stories or 48 feet tall. What that means is that people who fall 48 feet, 50% of them die from their injuries. Raging Bull is four times taller than that. But we did it. And we would do it again, and we don't even think about statistics like that. And the reason why is one word, faith. Faith is why we would do it again. And I'm not even talking about faith in God, even though I'm pretty sure there might be more prayers going on as that thing goes up than there are in church some Sundays. But what I'm talking about when I talk about faith is, is faith in things like the safety equipment, the straps that hold you into the seat, the amusement park personnel who have been trained to safely operate this thing, the engineers that have designed it, everything around us to keep us safe. On top of that, when you're waiting in line, right, you're watching people go up the thing and you're hearing them scream as they come down and you have faith because even though it looks terrifying, they come through the other side and you see them walk off the ride, right? They survived. They were able to do it. They stayed safe. And that gives us faith that we can do it too. Now, like every analogy, this one is limited, but Remember, the point that we're beginning with here this morning is that when we experience fear with faith, we find peace, protection, and hope. Roller coasters are still scary. Roller coasters are still scary. Faith does not take the fear away. But at the same time, I would not dream of dropping 202 feet without everything that I have put my faith in. Faith gives us peace protection, and hope. Faith can make the difference between experiencing fear in a way that is paralyzing and experiencing fear in a way that we also experience the gift of God's presence in the midst of it. And that brings us to Psalm 91. Now, every time I preach on a psalm, I feel like every time we preach on a psalm, I'm like, this is my favorite psalm. And I really think this one's my favorite psalm. So I'm going to say that again. I really do. Um, Psalm 91 is, is in response to Psalm 90. We don't have time to read through it. If you're on our email list, you got a link to a really great song by Shane and Shane where they sing through the words of Psalm 90. I think it's helpful to just read through it and understand this is the, the ancient hymn book. And so the order is important. And Psalm 90 is kind of what Psalm 91 is responding to. And if you look at Psalm 90, you'll see that some of it, it really sounds an awful lot like Ecclesiastes, which is what we've studied the last couple of Sundays. For example, Psalm 90 verse 9 says this all our days pass away under your wrath we finish our years with a moan our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures and yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away now if you were looking for some uplifting language to leave with this morning you found it <laughs> I mean, what's the bottom line here right right the psalmist says 
We live in a sinful, fallen world. That's what it means to live under the wrath of God, right? God did not intend it to be as difficult as it is, and yet that's where we are. And then on top of that, we live that way for 70, 80 years, if we're lucky. The best of those years are filled with trouble. It's hard. Life is complicated. And then you get to the end of it, you look back and you go, wow, that went really fast, and you die. <laughs> that's what it says. That's, that's, that's the bottom line there. And it's not a positive message, but we also know that it's a true message. And we're bombarded with that truth. We're bombarded with it in our personal lives. We're bombarded with it as a society. I mean, just look at just this, just this weekend, I was like looking at the headlines yesterday. What's going on just in our world, right? A tsunami warning is taking place right now. There's people being impacted by this around the world and even in our country, right? Last Sunday, what, what do we learn? Those of, those of you that are around, but we all know him, but those of you that are my generation will know him in a certain way. Bob Saget passed away, right? America's, America's dad. I grew up watching, watching that show and, and uh, TGIF, right? It was on ABC growing up. Um, and if that isn't as applicable to you, what about Betty White, right? America's grandma, who just passed away a few few weeks ago. Um, it's true. Our days are numbered. And, and on top of it, so many of them are filled with, with trouble and sorrow, and then we do fly away. That's what happens at the end. And so Psalm 90 asks the question that you may or may not want to ask today, and that is, is this all there is to life? <laughs> Is that all there is? And, and it ends with a prayer. Psalm 90 verse 13 says, Relent, Lord, right? Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. And maybe that's your prayer. Maybe that's how you came into church this morning. Maybe that's what you need for God to have compassion on you. How long will it be? And if that's you, then what you will see in Psalm 91 is that while our lives are full of variables and inconsistencies, Psalm 91 is God's response. It's God's response to the things that we're afraid of. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Psalm 91, verse 1. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We experience fear with faith. And when we experience fear with faith, we find peace. That's the first thing we find. As you look at dwelling in the shelter of God, resting in the shadow of the Almighty, finding refuge. Verse 3, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare. And from the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. When we experience fear with faith, the second thing we learn, not only does it bring us peace, but it also brings us protection. God will protect you. And I go back to the word there, the, the word that you'll find in several places in this psalm, the word refuge. It's an important word. Uh, the overview of the psalm, if you just read it the first time, you might think that, that this is suggesting that God, if you just put your faith and trust in him, is going to remove trouble from your lives. That there isn't going to be any challenges anymore. That there will not be anything that you are afraid of. And if you've had faith in God for any length of time, that's going to create this thing called cognitive dissonance because that isn't your experience, is it? 
And what you find here is that that actually isn't what the psalmist is saying. In order to find refuge is to assume that you're living in the context of a place where you need refuge from something. That there is something going on. The definition of refuge is a shelter or protection from danger or trouble. You don't need that. You don't need shelter. You don't need refuge if there isn't anything to be refuged from. And so the psalmist writes that if you put your faith and trust in God, if you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, if you rest in the shadow of the Almighty, verse 5, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence, the physical illness that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys by midday. Does that preach today? Right? A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Again, the psalmist is painting a picture of a world with countless things to be afraid of. I mean, look at this, right? Like arrows flying by your head by day, terror at night, physical illness, plagues, thousands falling at your right hand while you watch. It's the world that's being painted. And yet the third thing that we learn is that when we experience fear with faith, we find hope. Verse 9, if you say in the midst of all of that, the Lord is my, again, this word, say it with me, refuge. If you say the Lord is my refuge, and if you make the most high your dwelling, if that becomes your perspective, to use Lisa's words, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. Now, does this mean that you won't be impacted by what's happening around you? No, of course not. The hope here is that you will not be overtaken by it. The hope is that you will come out the other side, just like those who get on the roller coaster come out the other side. And how is the Lord going to make this all possible? Look at verse 11. He says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all their ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. If you say the Lord is my refuge, God's promise to you, and this is a promise, is that he will command his angels concerning you. That he will send angels to guard you in all your ways, to lift you up. Now, again, does this mean that he's going to literally lift you up out of every moment of pain and suffering there ever is? No. And that is one of the most harmful misinterpretations of this faith, this, this passage and, and the faith in general. I mean, just think how many people, have, how many times have you been told or you've wondered yourself uh, that if I just have enough faith, then I'll escape this. If I'll just have enough faith, then, then this won't happen. Then all of these problems will go away. It's, it's such a popular misinterpretation that even the devil used it 
back in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. Um, you, you remember the story. So Jesus was baptized, right? And then he goes off into the wilderness for 40 days in order to be prepared by God for his earthly ministry. And it's, of course, it's after the 40 days. He's fasting. He doesn't eat, right? He doesn't do anything. So he's exhausted. He's really hungry. He's tired. He's weary. And it's in that moment that the devil comes and begins to tempt him because that's when the devil comes to tempt you and me, right? Right? You ever try to go on a diet, right? When's the worst time to, to fall off your diet is when you're hungry, right? And so the devil knows this. And so he does the same thing to Jesus. And it's at the end of this that he tempts him in three ways. And one of the ways that he tempts Jesus is he takes him to the highest points of the temple. And so just imagine that he takes Jesus up to the highest point of the raging bull. He takes him up 202 feet. And I'm not talking about strapped in. I'm talking about like the devil said, no, we're going to take, you know that safety ladder that they put along the side of it? You know, that as you're going, it goes click, 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 and you're looking down at it, and you're going, why do they have that there? Am I going to have to use that? Is that safe? Why? You know, all those questions. Like, the devil takes Jesus up that way, stands at the top, and says, Psalm 91. He quotes the Bible. The devil quotes the Bible to Jesus here. He says, Psalm 91 says, Don't look down and jump. And don't worry, you should jump, Jesus. Actually, do it right now because the Bible says that God will send angels to catch you. So jump. And what does Jesus say? No. Why? Because Jesus isn't dumb, okay? But here's the real reason why. That's the only reason why. He gives them a reason. He says in verse 7, it is also, sure, it's written that God will send angels concerning you, right? But it's also written in Deuteronomy, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What's the devil trying to get Jesus to do? Jump, test how much God actually loves you. And this is not necessary for Jesus any more than it's necessary for a child that knows the love of a father or a mother. If you have a child that is well-adjusted and well-loved and they know the love of their parent, they don't go off and test the love by running into a busy street. Ooh, I wonder if they're going to catch me. Or jumping out of a second-story window. A child that is loved by their parent doesn't have to do that because they already know that they are loved. Jesus says, I don't have to jump off this high point to prove that the Father loves me. I already know I don't need to test him. And not only does he not need to test him, but look at what continues. He, he knows the rest of the psalm. Jesus knows the rest of the psalm. It says this, You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, we, we sang this at the first service, at our traditional service. How many of you are familiar with the hymn on eagle's wings? Show of hands. Um, it's actually a, a modern hymn, relatively speaking, as far as hymns go. It was written back in 1979 um, by a Catholic priest, Father Jan Michael. And he wrote it inspired by the fact that his good friend's father had just suffered a heart attack and died. And so, so uh, he, he wrote this song on Eagle's Wings, 
And it was inspired by the words in Psalm 91 and the words in, in Isaiah 40. And it was sung at the first, for the first time at the funeral of this friend's father. And it's been the cornerstone hymn at funerals in Catholic and Protestant churches ever since. I mean, how many of you just associate that song with funerals? Show of hands. I, I do. I mean, I listened to it yesterday in preparation, and I just cried. And I think I did because I've heard it so many times at funerals. And I remember the first time, for, for a long time, actually, when I became a Christian, I would hear that song at funerals, and, and I would listen to the words, and I would imagine that the person who passed away is, is, is on the top of an eagle, right? Like, like this is so helpful for us because we think about eagles, and I just imagine them sitting on the top of an eagle and that God is flying them up into heaven, Right, that's that's what. Does anybody else think of it that way when you hear those words? Am I the only one? Yeah, you guys. Nobody. It's just at home. Nobody's raising their hand. They're like, you're on your own, Tom. That's how I would think of it. I thought this is about the person who died. But what I realized in studying Psalm 91 is that that is not the intention of these words at all. And I'm not saying that God doesn't lift us up to be with him, right? That's a great image. Jesus says that to the thief on the cross next to him. In this day, you'll be with me in paradise, right? He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, all of those things. But we don't get those images from this passage, the author of Psalm 91 is not writing those words for those who are left behind in sorrow. Those, he, he's, not leaving, he's not writing those words for those who have died. He's writing them for those who are left behind. He's writing them for those who are sad. He's writing them for those who are mourning. He is writing these words for those of us who are afraid. These words are for you. These words are for me, that God will meet us, not by carrying us on the top of his wings when we die. At that point, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You're new. <laughs> That's the hope, right? That's the instinct, right? We know this when we lose our loved ones. What do we instinctively say? They're in a better place, right? You say that. You say, oh, they're, they're not in any pain anymore. On eagle's wings, Psalm 91 is for us. We need this image. Those of us who are left behind, those of us who are scared, we need it, and it's for us. It's an image of God who isn't putting us on top of his wings. It's a God who is placing his wings over us to protect us. Look again at verse 4. It says, he will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. And people who read those words thousands of years ago didn't even be able to imagine how accurate that imagery really is in describing the way in which God would do this exact thing for us. It's, it's literally a, a description of a mother bird. If you're not familiar with birds, maybe you've had a bird as a pet or something. Um, it's a mother bird that's protecting her young with her wings. And if you know anything about birds, you know that, that birds' wings are incredibly fragile, right? If you rescue a bird, you got to protect the wings. You can clip just a tiny part of one wing and a bird is no longer able to fly. And so the way in which a mother bird protects her young with her wings is through taking upon herself the danger that they need refuge from with the part of her that is fragile with the part of her that can be hurt, letting whatever it is, rain, heat, cold, threats, to come upon herself. And I found a picture online that might help you see exactly what this description is trying to describe. If you're afraid of snakes, it's a terrifying image, isn't it? 
But I hope you never read Psalm 91 again without thinking about this image right here. A mother bird cannot protect her young without taking the damage of the pain and suffering upon herself. What do you think is going to happen to that mother bird when she lands? You don't have to see the next picture. You know what's about to take place. And that is exactly what the psalmist says God will do for us. And it's not to say that, 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 that you won't still feel pain, that you won't still feel hurt, that you won't even still be afraid. Can you imagine being one of those baby birds? Even as the mother is hanging over them, right? Terrifying moment. But just like the mother bird, God's promise to you is that he will always take the worst upon himself. Always. He will take the worst upon his wings. And we know this because it's exactly what he does through Jesus. Verse 13, you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. Perfect love casts out all, anybody? Fear. Perfect love casts out all fear because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. These words are made complete in Jesus. Jesus is our refuge in the midst of the storm. He is our salvation that says that while in this world, there will be trouble. Not there might, but that there will. But you should take heart for upon my wings, I have overcome the world. So that when we experience fear with faith, we can find peace, protection, and hope when we set our eyes on him. And so would you join together now as we close our eyes. Let's set the eyes of our hearts on him. Lord Jesus... You don't promise to take away the difficulties in this life. And sometimes I desperately wish that you would. Your promise is to be a refuge in the midst of the storm. Your promise as our great God is that upon your wings you will take on the worst of anything that can come our way. That while we may experience, while we will experience trouble, it will not overcome us. For you have overcome the world. In Isaiah 40, the prophet writes these words that contribute to the hymn that has meant so much to so many of us. Have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is, an, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. 
Even youth shall faint and grow weary. Even young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. My heart this week, God, has just been broken for the many people whose hearts are broken, so many of us, in so many different ways, experiencing the pain and struggle and sorrow of life that even those of us who experience the joy feel it's somewhat muted, dulled by the unknown of the future. For many of us, it's dulled by our fear. And so my prayer for each and every person here in this place is that you would reorient our hearts to be focused on a God who promises to be our refuge, who promises to keep us safe, that we might realize that in putting our faith and trust in you, while we may still experience fear, the fear itself will be muted. The fear itself will be watered down because whatever we face will not take us over because you have taken over all evil and all suffering upon yourself. When you died on the cross, you took death. I mean, is that not the scariest thing in an image of a serpent that is about to overtake the young birds and the mother comes to protect them? The fear is that they will die. That is our fear as well. And you have taken that fear. You have thrown the thing that makes that fear scary, this thing called sin. You've put it as far as the east is from the west. We are forgiven in you. We are redeemed in you. And we are given hope that even in our death, it will not not overcome us, but we will come out the other side. And as the saying goes, we will be more alive on that day than we ever were here. But there is always hope. And that hope carries us through even now. And that hope comes through a faith that we don't need to muster on our own. As we open our eyes, we remember this meal that we are here to share with one another. Those of you that are at home and those of you who are gathered here in person, we remember that the promise of this meal is the presence of God and the gift of faith. That God is there helping you put your faith in him in those moments that are most fearful. And we remember this in the promises of the words of Jesus as he said them to the disciples on the night that he was betrayed. He took bread with them and he broke it and he said, take and eat, this is my body broken for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you eat this, remember me. After the supper, Jesus took the cup of blessing. He gave thanks And he gave it for all to drink and said, take and drink this cup. It's the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, remember me. For as often as we eat this bread and as often as we drink from this cup, I want you to just just imagine that the very presence of God is in you, is with you, is through you that you don't have to face your deepest, darkest fears alone. God is present. 
And he is giving you the faith that you will need to find the peace and the protection and hope that only comes from him. The only thing that we do in response to this truth and this hope is let go of whatever it is we were holding on to instead. And so if you believe in this truth, if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, no matter what your background, no matter what you're afraid of, open up your hands. Physically open up your hands as a sign of surrender and together pray the prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. At this time, if you received communion when you came in, take out the bread at home, take out whatever you have, take and eat the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Now may the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ reminding you that he is with you, that he is present. May it bring you peace. And I don't know about you, but so often when I come before God in worship after a busy week, after a stressful week, after a difficult week, after a scary week, sometimes it takes until this last song to really be able to worship to really be able to set my mind and my heart and my perspective on God. And so if that's true for you, then I, I want you to sing. I want to hear your voice. The people around you need to hear your voice as well. Let's stand up. Let's join together. Let's worship.